0: Turn with me to John chapter 18, John chapter 18, John chapter 18, and we're currently looking at the truth of why Jesus came to this earth as a man. Throughout our study of the Gospel of John, we've heard Jesus say, Mine hour has not yet come. Now The hour has come. And we've noted here in chapter 18 already the betrayal and the denial. This morning I want us to backtrack just a bit and note the suffering of the Lord Jesus it was not only on the cross, which we'll be getting to, But also the suffering was evident throughout the days prior to his crucifixion. And so in this chapter, 18th chapter of John, we are presented with the suffering of Christ. Uh, And at this point, he's being betrayed, he's been arrested, he's being tried before his enemies, and yet through it all, he manifests a strength of character that paints a wonderful picture for you and me. Uh, And these verses were shown the suffering of Jesus. You see, when it came time for Jesus to fulfill his destiny and go to the cross, we do not find him shrinking from the task. No, on the contrary, we find him standing tall, carrying out the redemptive plan of his heavenly Father, without flinching, without failing. Isaiah saw this time many centuries before, described Jesus in this manner, Isaiah 50 and verse 6. He says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and suffering. Even the gospel writers were moved by this determination of the Lord. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, he says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And all of this leads us to see that Jesus was not shrinking. Uh, He was was not backing off. He wasn't saying, No, I'm not going to do this. He was no victim of circumstance. No, instead, he was the master of the moment. And as we go through these verses, it will be clear to think, uh, to any thinking person, that Jesus Christ suffered humiliation. Suffered betrayal, and eventually death with his head held high and his eyes firmly fixed on the goal. And so we'd like to take a moment and look at this together. The hour has come, the suffering. And my aim this morning is to show us what he suffered for us. Why he did what he did. My desire is to help anyone here who does not have a personal relationship with the Lord to see that Jesus has made a way for you to be saved. And he's done everything that's necessary to deliver you from hell and from judgment. And I want to show you that he's worthy of your trust and your faith this morning. So let's look at these verses and look at the suffering. Notice, first of all, and we've kind of looked at some of these verses already, but we see him in his deity. In verses 1 through 11, uh, we find Jesus in his deity. In verse one, we see it says, "...when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the book, uh, brook Cedron, uh, where was a garden unto the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons." Several times in this chapter, Jesus has proved his identity to those around him. And throughout his ministry, he claimed to be God in the flesh. Uh, Various places we've already seen in our study of the book of John. But he's also proven his claim time and time again. And yet, here in the closing hours of his life, he once again steps up, claims his equality with God God Almighty. Notice, first of all, his claim in verses 4 through 7. Says Jesus therefore, knowing all things that should come unto him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus saith unto them, I am he, and he and Judas also which betrayeth him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye, and they said Jesus of Nazareth. It's interesting here that as the soldiers come to arrest Jesus and he asks them who they are seeking, they respond, Jesus of Nazareth. And his simple response is, I am, or I am he. That's really an exclamation of Jesus Christ in his claim of deity. By saying, I am, he's telling uh, them that he is uh, uh, his claim to God being God. And notice what happens. And Verse 6 tells us they all fell backward to the ground. Now, verse 3 tells us there was a band of soldiers. We noted this last uh, uh, Sunday, but this means there were probably somewhere in 400 to 600 highly trained, well-conditioned Roman soldiers, and they all fell to the ground when Jesus spoke those simple words, I am, or I am he. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but if I had been in that number, I would have said, I'm out of here. I don't think I should be arresting this guy. But what does it mean for us? Well, simply, Jesus is God. John one one, John 1.14 makes this very perfectly clear. And listen, if you've never been saved, and you never will be saved until you come... First, to the place where you acknowledge and receive Jesus as more than a teacher, more than just a good man, more than just some religious leader. You can never be saved until you come face to face with and accept the fact that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The soldiers never saw that, and they became participants in the death of Jesus. Uh, They were given a sign. They were given an opportunity to back down. And yet they pressed on in their unbelief and eventually perished in hell. Don't let that happen to you. Receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior today. Now in Luke twenty two seventy, and again back in John, in John eighteen here in verse thirty seven, Jesus claimed deity during his trial uh, when he was asked point blank about his relationship to God and and where he was the uh, the actual Son of God. Jesus responded by saying, ye say that I am. Or he said, thou sayest it. In other words, he's saying, you said it. Now the question comes to my mind this morning, for each one of us here, whom say ye that that he is, as it tells us in Matthew. So we notice here his claim. Secondly, his concern. Verses 8 and 9. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he, if therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. That saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Again, the deity of Jesus Christ is also seen in his concern as he, uh, that he had for his disciples. He was concerned that they not be arrested, but be allowed to go free. And you see, Jesus was concerned with the protection of his men. Uh, they were special to him. Uh, he was determined to see that their need was met that night. And so how does he demonstrate his deity? By the simple fact that he cared more for the welfare, their welfare than he did of his own. And so in his actions, you don't see selfishness, but you see self-sacrificing love and compassion. And that defies description. Only God is able to love to that degree. And may I remind us this morning that things have not changed. Jesus is still very concerned about your needs, my needs this morning. His concern translates into action on our behalf. After all, God has promised to take care of our needs. We notice then thirdly his compassion, verse 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me. Shall I not drink it? When the soldiers had come to take Jesus away, of course, Peter, being bold and just getting right out there, he draws his sword and cuts off the ear of the man by the name of Malchus. Now, I don't for a minute believe uh, Peter was trying to wound him, I think he was trying to kill him, as some southern preacher said, graveyard dead. But uh, Peter missed. He only got his ear. And when this happened, Jesus reached out to Malchus and restored his ear. Uh, Listen, only God can do that. Only God can do those kind of things. Most of us would have been glad to see our friends fighting for us. You know, if we were challenged or we're going to be arrested and our friends are surrounding us, we think, wow, stand up for me. Not Jesus, though. He was moved with compassion for one who was his enemy. And he reached out to him in love and he healed him. By the way, that's what he's done for you. He's reached out to you this morning. You and I were enemies of God. Yet he still reached out to us through his matchless, marvelous grace. What a Savior. What a great Savior we have, as we sang a little while ago. What a Lord. And I'm glad this morning the Lord was moved with compassion when he saw me. Had it not been for the love and compassion of the Lord, I would be dead. I'd probably be in hell this morning, and so would you. That's something to rejoice over, and that's something to think about. Notice, fourthly, his commission. Again, in verse 11, he says, The cup which my Father hath given me, shall I not drink it? It's a final proof of his deity, and it's seen in the fact that he seems determined to go to the cross. And had this been you or I, we would have been looking for a way out. How can I get out of here? We would have been looking for some escape. We would have tried to cut a deal. Not Jesus. No, he set his face like a flint and went to the cross and drank the bitter cup of death for you and me. And I'm grateful this morning that Jesus did not flinch from the face of Calvary. I'm so thankful today that he was willing to go to the cross and die for my sins so that I could be saved. And I tell you, we serve a wonderful Lord. And he deserves to be exalted. He deserves to be praised for his unspeakable gift that he's given to us, willing to die on the cross for my sins. What a Savior. We see him in his deity. Secondly, we see him in his dignity. This we see in verses 12 through 36. And even as Jesus was being led away to an illegal trial on trumped up charges, He retained his dignity. Not one time do we see him begging for mercy. Not one time do we hear him cry for freedom. Not one time do the lips of our Savior part and ask men to let him go free. He was dignified in all things. That may not mean much to us, but it speaks a whole lot. It just reminds us that he knew what he was doing the whole time. Not one aspect of the trial caught him by surprise. He knew every bend in the road, and he faced it like a man, like a true God-man. Notice his arrest there in verse 12. And the band and captain of officers of Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. The soldiers come to carry him away. He didn't resist. He didn't retaliate. He submitted to them. He went to a trial because he was determined to die on that cross for you and me. At any moment, Jesus could have destroyed all of his capture with one word from his lips. And yet he allowed it because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We notice his arrest, but we also see his arraignment. Here in the middle part of the chapter, we find after he was arrested, he was forced to appear before Caiaphas, the high priest, and then he was tried by Pilate to be. uh, And uh, during this trial, uh, Jesus was subjected to many injustices. There are several reasons why this trial would have been illegal in that day. And uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or ever uh, realized this, but uh, there are some illegal aspects uh to Christ's trial. First of all, arrest could not be made at night. It was illegal. Uh the time and the date of the trial were illegal because it took place at night on the eve of the Sabbath. Uh the time precluded any chance for the required adjournment to the next day in event of a conviction. Uh, A guilty sentence could be handed down only on the day following the trial. The Sanhedrin was without authority to instigate charges. It was only supposed to investigate charges brought before it. But here in Jesus' trial, the court itself formulated the charges. Uh, The charges against Jesus were changed during the trial. He was initially charged with blasphemy based upon his statement that he would be able to uh, destroy and rebuild the temple of God within 3 days as well as his claim to be the son of God and when he was brought before Pilate the charge uh, was that Jesus was a king and that did not uh, and did not advocate paying taxes to the Romans so the charges were changed the requirement of two witnesses in agreement to merit the death penalty was not met Uh, The court did not meet in regular meeting place of the Sanhedrin, as required by Jewish law, and Christ was not permitted a defense. Under Jewish law, an exhaustive search into the facts presented by the witnesses should have occurred. But the Sanhedrin pronounced the death sentence. Again, under law, the Sanhedrin was not allowed to convict and put the death sentence into effect. And so through all the injustice and through all the lies and through all the deception, Jesus retained his dignity. He stood the creator before the creature. He took every blow that came his way. He did this so that you and I might have salvation. And like the song says, he suffered it all because he loved me. Notice, thirdly, his alienation. Now, we've already looked a little bit at this uh, uh, in verses uh, 2 through 3 and 15 through 18 and several other verses here. Probably the hardest part of the whole process of this suffering was the utter and bitter rejection by the very people he had come to save in the first place. And so we we find Jesus suffering at the hands of a friend and enemy alike. Notice he was betrayed by Judas. The man who lived and walked with Jesus for three years turned on him and led his captors to him. This must have stung the heart of Jesus. Again, John does not record the kiss here, the kiss of betrayal. But in Luke twenty-two forty-seven, it says, And while he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near unto Jesus to kiss him. Judas kissed the gates of heaven and went to hell. He was betrayed by Judas. He was denied by Peter. We looked at this last Sunday evening. The very man who swore that all others might leave Jesus, but he would stay by him to the death, was the very one who denied Jesus publicly. Matthew tells us, Peter said unto them, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples... And this certainly touched the heart of the Savior when Peter and the others forsook him. And then thirdly, he was rejected by Israel. Find this at the end of the chapter, and uh, where it says, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? When he had said... Uh, this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? And they cried, they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. When Jesus came into the world, he came in fulfillment of all the Jewish prophecies concerning the Messiah. He came to establish the kingdom of God in the world and liberate the people of God. And yet, when he came, they refused to have him and demanded that he be put to death. This was an ultimate blow. Surely this crushed the heart of our Savior. And what amazes me is that men are still guilty of doing the very same thing. Israel and Judas rejected Jesus out of pure unbelief. Peter denied Him in a moment of weakness. But every day today in this world that we live in, people are rejecting Jesus in an effort to enjoy the life of sin for a few more days. Perhaps it's out of pride that men say no. Some do so simply because they're fools. Whatever the reason, men reject salvation that is offered through Jesus, and it's a foolish reason, and it's not worth dying and going to hell over. And I would say if there's someone here that is rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ, don't make the same mistake that billions have already made. Trust Jesus today while there's still time. And be sure you miss hell when you leave this world. So we see Him in His uh, deity. We see Him in His dignity. And then thirdly, we see Him in His destiny. Verse 37. Go back to verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king, to this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Here's a wonderful verse, and we see Jesus on trial before Pilate, and Pilate seems to be little more than a court jester in the presence of the king of kings. But Jesus makes it clear to Pilate that he came to this world not to live but to die. Jesus had his sight set on uh, three majestic peats. Jesus knew something that Pilate could never realize in his lifetime. Jesus was looking ahead to what accompl- what he would accomplish by seeing this thing through to its conclusion. Notice what these three things are. First of all, there had to be a cross. Jesus plainly states that his purpose in coming into the world was to go to the cross and die. And for many, this causes confusion. They fail to understand it takes blood to deal with sin. According to Hebrews 9 and verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. If Jesus had not shed his blood on the cross, then nobody would ever be saved. Salvation is totally dependent upon the blood of Jesus. And therefore, people ought to beware of religion because many times religion tells us that works is the answer. Some would tell us the waters of baptistry is the answer. Others would count on being very good, and that would get the job done. Others would look at church affiliation to get them to heaven. But I don't know about you, but I'll take the blood of Jesus Christ. My hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen, it took the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary to open the way unto salvation for you and me. He had to suffer. He had to die. It was the only way God could redeem fallen man. There had to be a cross. But secondly, there had to be a crown. Jesus states in this verse, to bear witness to the truth. He bore witness to the truths of his claims when three days after his death he rose from the dead. And now, thank God, he forever lives to make intercession for you and me. You see, a dead Savior could have paid for sin as our high priest Jesus had to get up from that grave and place the sacrifice before the Lord God Almighty in heaven. And I'm thankful today that I can serve a risen Savior. And I trust you're thankful for that as well. But then thirdly, there had to be a call. There had to be a cross, there had to be a crown, there had to be a call. And notice that Jesus said, those who were of the truth would hear his voice. As men walk through this world, God calls to them. And when they hear his voice, they can respond to him and be forever saved by grace. And yet before the call could be given, the Savior had to die and had to rise from the dead. And this, my friends, is the gospel. That Jesus died for sin, rose from the dead, and calls men to come unto him. If you'll come to him, you can be saved today. And so I wonder if you understand this morning the truth that Jesus gave to us here. The things that he did for us. I wonder if it makes sense to you today. Perhaps you've heard the old, old story many, many times. Maybe you've been coming to this church for many years And you've never received Jesus Christ into your heart. Maybe you said a prayer. But you never really trusted Christ. You've trusted a prayer, not Christ. Maybe this morning you feel that He's calling you to come to Him. and So why not do that today if you've never been saved? Anyone here, regular attender, member, visitors, Let me remind you that Jesus loves you. He's made a way for you to be born again, to be liberated from sin, from judgment, damnation. And that way is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And won't you come to him while he calls for you? Many of you would say, well, there was a point in time when I did put my faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Perhaps this morning, though, you're taking that faith for granted. Perhaps you're not growing in the Lord. Because you've neglected some important aspects of the Christian life. Perhaps there's sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. Perhaps you've never obeyed the Lord in baptism. Baptism is a picture of death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a testimony of your faith in Christ and what He did for you. Perhaps you need to make a commitment of being a part of this local body of believers through church membership. Perhaps you're neglecting being faithful witness to others about the good news of the gospel, and you're associating with the wrong crowd, or you're afraid of being identified as a Christian. Whatever your need is today, I would invite you to consider your spiritual needs and come to Christ and get things right between you and God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I don't know.